you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4 is our main text today. Matthew chapter 4 will be in Exodus and Deuteronomy too, but Matthew 4 to open things up. We're right in the middle of a study on temptation. The name of this series is The Devil Made Me Do It, but we've found out so far that the devil can't make us do anything, can he? devil is not all-powerful, that he is not omniscient, he's not everywhere at once the way that God is. However, we've also determined that the devil can tempt us and entice us to take us away from God, and, and that's kind of where we've been, that's where we've been studying. We understand that Jesus was tempted in three different ways, and all of our temptations that we face are going to fall under one of these three categories. The first way, and we talked about this last week, was to meet a legitimate need in an improper way. Uh, it's a God-given need. Jesus was hungry, but he the, the temptation was to feed himself rather than trusting God to feed him, trusting God to take care of what he needed. It, it's the idea that if I don't do this, it won't get done. So even if I have to lie, steal, cheat, be a little bit unethical, the ends justify the means, and I've got to get it done. The second way Jesus was tempted, we're going to look at that today, was to manipulate God, or to manipulate others, or to manipulate situations to meet our needs. And then next week, we're going to see Jesus was tempted to do the right thing the wrong way. In other words, take a shortcut, put your priorities in the wrong place. And our first lesson in this series, taking you back a few weeks, taught us that every time we're faced with temptation, our future is under consideration. How many of y'all could testify to the fact that a lot of times the current situation in which you find yourself is a direct result of decisions you've made? Hadn't we all been there? One decision leads to another decision, and, and here's where I am today. There's a file in my file cabinet, not literally, but... It's in the file cabinet of my mind, and the tab on that file is, it seemed like a really good idea at the time. Have you ever been there? We have a lot of stuff filed there, don't we? Every time we're tempted with something, our future is under consideration because it's not just one decision. Decisions get stacked upon decisions. But not only is our future under consideration, every time we are tempted, our family is under consideration. Have you thought about this? Drugs, alcohol, financial fiascos, affairs. How many of us know families who are, they're just a family of alcoholics or they're a family of drug addicts or they're a family of abusers or that's where we get the idea. Somebody says, well, you know that family, they're not very good. Uh, decisions we make today can affect our family tomorrow. Uh, there was a man that got it. This has been told several different ways. Uh, it has probably happened so many times, it's probably true all those different ways. But there was a man whose son got arrested for DUI. 17-year-old son got arrested for DUI. Boy, the father was hopping mad. He said, uh, I'm going to go find out where my son got that liquor, and I'm going to go beat that guy up for giving my son alcohol. He said, son, where did you get that alcohol? And he didn't want to answer. The son didn't. 
And the dad said, answer me. You ever have your parents kind of put their hands on their hips and say, answer me. Answer me. Don't you protect your friends. I want to know where you, which one of those kids' daddies gave you that alcohol. And finally he said, Dad, I got it out of your liquor cabinet. Our decisions today not only affect our future, our decisions today can affect our families as well. From generations, I told our Sunday school class, at Turney Center at one time we had a grandson, a, a son, a father, and a grandfather incarcerated at Turney Center at the same time. The father and the son were soulmates. Uh, just generation after generation. Temptation is more than about just saying no right now. Our future is at stake. Our family is under consideration. And finally, our faith is under consideration every time we're tempted. Every temptation is a test of our faith, not just our ability to say no. Every temptation is the devil trying to tempt us to not trust God. Don't put your trust in God. God won't take care of you. God's busy running the universe. He's not watching and caring about what you're doing now. If you don't take care of yourself, it won't get done. And so we fall to temptation. It all comes down to this question. Can God be trusted? Now we say that in our head. If I were to ask the question, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if I were to ask the question, how many of y'all say that you trust God? God can be trusted. Everybody in this room would raise their hands. I've got no doubt that we don't have that in our head. But has it sunk down? Have we experienced God enough for that to transfer from our head knowledge to our heart knowledge? I know that we all believe in God, but do we believe God? When Scripture tells us that Ask and it shall be given to you. That God will provide our needs. We know that in our heads and we say that. Well, God will take care of us. But when rubber meets the road and we get alone between us and our job or us and our bank book or us and our husband and wife or our kids or our loved ones, do we really believe God will take care of things? Do we trust Him? Or does the devil talk us into trusting ourselves? That's what it's all about. Jesus, remember last week? Jesus was tempted to turn some stones to bread. And basically Satan said, you're the son of God, right? But if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Now to me that wouldn't be a temptation. I've been hungry before, but I can't turn stones to bread. Jesus could. The ultimate question was not, do I need bread? The ultimate question is, am I going to trust God to provide the bread, or am I going to make bread and take care of myself? And remember how Jesus answered? He said, it is written, man shall not live by what? Bread alone. And we took a trip back to Deuteronomy into the wilderness with the Israelites, where God gave them manna and quail. For 40 years, every day, the people were obedient. They picked up manna, they got their quail, and they trusted God. This was a 40-year lesson in trusting God. It's not just about the manna and the quail. It's not just about bread. The question is, are you going to trust God to meet your needs? Then God warns them in Deuteronomy, 
that man shall not live by bread alone. God says, I'm going to send you into this promised land. Joshua's going to take you there. And you're going to live in houses you didn't build. And you're going to eat food you didn't plant. And you're going to live off others' efforts. And he said, the temptation is going to be, you're going to forget about me. You needed me in the wilderness when there was a desert, there wasn't any food. When you get to where you can take care of yourself, you'll forget God. So that's why Jesus says it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Turning the stones to bread, that was just something to eat for a meal. Jesus says, I'm not going to trade my birthright for a meal. Remember Esau? Sold that, uh, he sold his pot of stew for his birthright. That just popped in my head. Jesus could have sold his birthright for a stones turned to bread. But he says, man, Elizabeth, it's more than bread. It's learning to trust God. There's more to life than bread. There's more to life than whatever need you need met. There's more to life than that. It's bigger than that. What you need, your need that you need met right now, that's just the moment. There's a lifetime out there. What are we going to do? Trusting, obeying. Staying in the will of God, under the canopy, under the umbrella of God's will. We're going to stand right there under God's will and say, God, I'm not getting out of from under this umbrella. If my needs are going to be met, you're going to meet them. Now, God may meet our needs through our job or through any other number of ways. We're told to take care of ourselves, so don't get me wrong with that. But it's the idea of trust and obey. Remember that song we sing, Trust and Obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The key to overcoming temptation is learning to trust God. That's last week. This week is a much more subtle temptation. This week, Jesus is tempted to presume or to assume certain things about God. And here's the way this looks. We'll say, I'm going to do my own thing, and because I'm a Christian, God has to take care of me. After all, God, you said you'd take care of me. After all, God, you said you would do this or that, so I'm going to do my own thing, and then God, you just better show up, because you're obligated to. After all, I'm a Christian. That's what this temptation's about. Matthew 4. This week, we're going to look at verses 5 to 7. Then the devil took him, that's Jesus, up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So as we get into verse 5, Satan leads Jesus from the wilderness to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know whether they walked. We don't know whether this was like a Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty moment. But somehow they're at the top of the temple, the highest part of the temple, about 200 feet from where they were to the temple floor down below. 
It says that the devil led him or took him. That, by the way, is the same word that's used by Luke when he talks about the Mount of Transfiguration. It says Jesus led Peter, James, and John or took Peter, James, and John, depending on uh, which uh, translation you have. It's the same word. Satan really literally means took him by the hand and led him. Took him to the top of the temple. There they were up on top of this. It's the highest point of the temple. They could look down and they could see all the people. There's the chief priest and the not-so-chief priests. And the people, and they're all down there. Like, Have you ever been on top of like a big building and you look down at the, at the street and see all the little ants running around? There they were. That's where this temptation is going to take place. The first temptation, remember it took place we put it back into context. Jesus has been baptized. The voice comes and says, You're my beloved son. Well done. I'm proud of you. Jesus is then led into the wilderness alone. Without food, 40 days and 40 nights. And then the scripture makes a very obvious statement when he said afterward he was hungry. And we said last week, I can't go 40 minutes without eating. To imagine 40 days without eating. But the point is, that first temptation, Jesus was alone in a desert place. It was just him and Satan. We're tempted that way sometimes, aren't we? When we get alone, we get idle. It's us and our thoughts. But this temptation is around a lot of people. There, there's people, this temptation's in church of all places. Do you know you can get tempted in church? That's what happens here. Verse 6, Satan says, If you're the Son of God. Can you see the way he says it? If you're the Son of God. Remember how we were when we were kids. If you're really big and brave, you'll do this or you'll do that. I dare you to do this or I dare you to do that. Or I double dog dare you. You know, when kind of like the Christmas story movie, if you get double dog dared, and you got to do it. Satan saying, if you're God's son, jump. If you're God's son, go. Now in the first temptation, Jesus answers, it is written. Satan decides he can play the it is written game too. And so this time, Satan quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 91, 11, and 12. Now, he doesn't quote all of it, but he quotes it. I read a quote this week from A.W. Tozier. And anything you can get your hands on, if you're in Goodwill or the yard sale or whatever, by A.W. Tozier, grab it. But he said this in, in talking about Satan. He says, Satan is the world's greatest theologian, but he's still Satan. Satan knows scripture. Satan will put scripture in your head to use as part of a temptation like he did here with Jesus. Picture Satan talking to Jesus. You know what, Jesus? The hardest people in the world to convince that your God's son is going to be the religious people. Here's your chance. Jump. Here they are. Jump. God will take care of you. After all, you're the son of God. Nothing's going to happen to you. 
You, you've got, you're Superman. God will take care of you. After all, it's written that he'll take care of you. The way we look at it, make your plan, pull the trigger, take God alongside to bail you out if need be. Don't we do this if we're not careful? We, we presume, we assume things about God, and we remind him he has to help us. Because after all, God, I've got this verse. This verse says, if I ask, you'll give it to me. This verse says that anything we ask in your name, I've, I've got this verse. You've got to bless me. You've got to give this to me. You've got to do this. It's kind of like two 17-year-old kids in a car. Were you ever 17 in a car with somebody? And there you are, just y'all. We're going to picture these got to be boys. I'm not sure whether it was boys or girls in this illustration, but it sounds like boys to me. The two teenage boys in the car, and one of them that's in the passenger seat says, Drive faster. And one driving, I'm not so sure. I just got my driver's license. I don't know if I ought to be driving faster. What are you, chicken? Drive faster. And then the guy behind the wheel, the kid's going, well, what if there's a policeman? The other boy says, oh, don't worry about it. My dad's an attorney. He's got to get us off. So just drive fast and don't worry about it. Do y'all remember the Andy Griffith episode about that bratty boy with the bicycle? That he had a bicycle and he's riding it on the sidewalks and knocking everybody down and running everybody over and Barney and Andy had warned him about it, and finally they had all they could take, and they took the boy's bicycle away from him. You know, the boy throws a fit. He stomps and yells and hollers, and he, uh, the boy says, I'm going to have to, or Andy says, I'm going to have to get your father. And the boy says, you go ahead. You get my father. I don't care. So here comes the father. And the boy, he, he just keeps going. Andy explains how bad the boy's been, and the dad says, well, he's just a little rambunctious. He just... No, people just don't understand him. He just takes a little bit of, of, of extra attention. And Andy says, you don't understand. I'm taking this boy's bicycle. About that time, this boy starts at it again with his mouth yapping and talking about how great his daddy is and you can't do this to me. And he stomps and he uh, jumps up and down and he's just having a fit. And Andy says, I tell you what, I might not be able to throw you in jail. He said, but I put your father in jail for not taking care of you and letting you run wild. And the boy said, you go ahead. You put my father in jail. He ain't scared of you. It's that what we do with God. We make our plans, we do our thing, and we expect the God to come along and fix it when we get done. Jump, Jesus. You're God's son. God will take care of you. A young man or a young woman that's a Christian marries a non-Christian. And then when they get into marital troubles, the Christian spouse says, God, you got to help me. I'm a Christian. You, you, you have to help me with this. A kid doesn't study and he goes to school to take a test, and he says, God, you got to help me pass this test. If I fail this test, this will be a bad look on your witness. You, you've you've got to take care of me while I take this test. 
couples are foolish with their money. They, they foolishly spend it, and then they run out of money. And then they say, God, bail me out. God, help me. All these situations put the burden on God's back. See what that's doing? God, it's up to you to fix this. That's what devil is saying to Jesus. Jesus, jump, and God will take care of you. That puts the burden on God. That puts the burden on God acting the way we think God should act. But can I remind you of something this morning? God is not my genie. God is not your genie. You know that genie in a bottle that you rub the bottle and the genie pops out and gives us three wishes? That's the way a lot of folks view God. God, I like wealth and riches and no sickness, please. Thank you very much. God is not our genie. Faith is not making a plan and then asking God to jump alongside and bless it. I think as churches, we're bad about that. We want to do a new ministry or a new program because everybody else is doing it or whatever, and so we jump out and we do it without praying about it. Then, then we, oh, you know, we ought to pray about this before we do it. We know we're going to do it. We're just asking for God to come along for the ride, right? We do it as Christians. We do it as churches. That isn't faith. That's hope. We're going to do this and hope it all turns out all right. Faith, you want, to know, you want to know what faith is? Faith is looking at God's promises. We sang the song, Standing on the Promises of God, this morning. Looking at God's word, looking at God's will, and building your life based on his will. Faith is knowing when you put yourself in God's hands, by handing him your life, and then you live that life God's way, God is going to come alongside and meet your needs every time. That's faith. Staying under that umbrella of God's will. Let's take another quick trip back in time this morning. This time to the book of Exodus. We're back in the wilderness again. Exodus chapter 17. If you remember last week, the Israelites were whining about food. They said, here we are out in this wilderness and there's no food. Well, now we have another situation here in Exodus 17. That all the congregation of the children of Israel, starting at verse 1, all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? In other words, why are you arguing with me? Why do you tempt or test the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. They're going to kill me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your God, a rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. 
And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted or tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Here's what's going on. They're in the desert. They said, Moses, we need water. Here we are, you've drunk us out of Egypt, and you're going to let us die thirst out here in this wilderness. Now here's a question. Don't you suppose God knew they needed water? That wasn't a surprise to God. God's the one that led them to the wilderness in the first place. God knew that there was water. This question is really, is God with us or not? Is God going to take care of us or not? If God is going to take care of us, there'd be water. They were wanting things in their time, in their way. And they tempted and they tested God. They tried to manipulate God's will into giving them water right this instant. See what's happening here? Now, flip over a couple of books to Deuteronomy. We're going to read a familiar, we just read this in the New Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And verse 16. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. You see, this is the scripture Jesus quotes. All three, it is written, Jesus quotes in the temptations. They all come from the book of Deuteronomy. You see, Jesus doesn't say, tell Satan that Satan's misquoted. Jesus doesn't say, say, Satan, you've used the wrong scripture. What Jesus tells Satan is that you just can't look at what is written. You also have to examine the context because you can misapply that scripture. Yes, God will take care of his children. Yes, God will watch over them. And in Jesus' case, as the Son of God, angels did minister to them. But what Jesus is telling Satan is, God is not at my beck and call to do what I think he ought to do. How does that look today? There are folks that read scriptures that say you can handle snakes and you can uh, drink poison and it won't hurt you. So what do they do? They, they get snake bit and drink poison. A lot of them die. You may say, well, God will take care of me. Where are you going to eat lunch today? I'm going to go in the middle of Interstate 40 East, and I'm going to set out a blanket, and I'm going to have a picnic in the middle of Interstate 40 East. After all, God has to take care of me because he says he takes care of his children. See how that temptation is used? Do what you want to, then bring God along for the ride. Jesus says here, I'm not going to pressure God. I'm not going to assume, I'm not going to presume anything about God or to try to manipulate God. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cooperate with him and let him provide in his place and in his time. I'm going to do things his way. And here's today's sentence I want you to remember. God has called us to cooperate, not manipulate. God has called us to cooperate, not manipulate. Have you ever played the game hot potato? 
or you pass it around and you, get, you have to get rid of it as quick as you can. That's the way we are with God sometimes. God, think quick. Fix this. I'm in a mess. Fix it. Hot potato tag. You're in. God hasn't called us to manipulate. He's called us to cooperate. I'm convinced that the people that are most disappointed with God are those people that have never learned to surrender to Him. We still, in the back of our minds, or in our heart of hearts, think that God owes it to us to do things our way. Y'all, God is sovereign. When I trusted Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord, I gave Him a blank check to do with my life whatever He wanted to do with it. And it's not always easy. But God has been there for me every time. Folks haven't learned to cooperate. They're too busy trying to manipulate. And you know what they end up saying? When things go bad, here's what they say. I can't believe God would do that to me. If there's a God in heaven, why did this happen? I can't believe that God would do this or to do that. When you learn to cooperate, you give God that blank check. Here you go, God, I'm yours. Those that haven't submitted to God's will, the only thing you can do is try to manipulate God to your will. That's the only choice. That's where that comes out. But you know what? Those people, they never hear from God. Can I tell you something this morning? If you're not hearing from God, then you haven't submitted to Him. There's some part of you that you're keeping back to yourself. Because if you've submitted your heart fully to the Lord, when you get in His Word, when you spend time with Him in prayer, you will hear from God. God is not trying to keep things secret. God wants to bless you. God wants to communicate with you. When you look at the book of Hebrews, the first four verses, in various times and in various ways, long ago God spoke. But now He speaks to us through His Son Jesus. God spoke is the subject and predicate of that whole paragraph. God is all God wants to communicate. But I, I tell you what, I, I'm convinced God's like that sprint guy in heaven. Going, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I've been trying to get a hold of. Can you hear me now? But we haven't submitted to it. And you know what happens if you don't submit? If we haven't submitted, we might as well turn our phone on mute. Because the signal can't come through. If our heart is so full of ourselves, there's no room for God to put himself into our heart, is there? This is such a subtle temptation. And a lot of times we don't know whether where we are until the bottom falls out. When the bottom falls out, and the only thing you have left to give God is you, you don't have any money anymore. You don't have any wealth anymore. You don't have any prosperity anymore. You don't have any of this anymore. You don't have any of that. All you've got to yourself. Something miraculous is going to happen when you give yourself to Him. When you give yourself to God, God will show up. God will meet your need. Now here's my question. Are you a cooperator or a manipulator? Do you cooperate with God in your life or you, do you try to manipulate God to fit your ways? And I've got to be honest. 
I'm both sometimes. Sometimes I do a great job cooperating. And then there's sometimes I'll get out from under that will of God and Andy wants to come back in the picture and do things Andy's way. And I'm saying, okay, God, here's a mess. Fix it. So can't we be both? God calls us to be a cooperator. It's never right. It's never in God's will to be a manipulator. God's not about, God is not about manipulation. Did you know God has never manipulated anybody to do anything? And boy, if anybody could, couldn't God? God never forces himself. God never makes you trust Jesus as his Savior. God shows you his way, but he doesn't force you to submit. Now what God does do, he says, submit to me, or one day you're going to regret it. But God's all about cooperation, not manipulating. Scripture tells us in the book of James to resist the devil and draw near to God and Satan will flee. Sometimes we, we say, well, I'm doing my best. I'm going to say no. I'm going to stand and I'm going to resist the devil but we don't draw near to God. We don't let God into our lives. And so even as hard as we resist, we can't get rid of the devil. Sometimes we're trying to draw near to God, but we're not doing a whole lot of resisting. We're not trying real hard to say no. It doesn't take a whole lot to talk me into eating a raspberry-filled donut. I'd say it's not good for me, but I don't do it. Because here's the deal. Resist carbs, exercise, and you'll lose weight. Lose weight. I, we exercise. We, we walk some, not as much as we should. We walk. My problem is resisting carbs. You don't have to try real hard to get me to eat something that's bad for me. Because you know why it's so good. Are you a manipulator or are you co or a cooperator? Listen to your prayer. You say, well, I don't know. Listen to your prayers. What do they sound like? Are you saying, God, give me this? God, give me that. God, heal this. God, do this. God, do that. Or do we pray, Lord, let your will be my will. I pray that your will will be done in my life and in the life of my loved ones. I draw you. I pray you would draw my loved ones to you. That tells us if we're a cooperator or a manipulator. All the gimme, 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 do, 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 is us trying to bend God to our his to our will. We try to get God to do what we want Him to do, and that's not why we pray. Prayer is about getting my will and God's will in line. Amen. So that we can lead under the umbrella of God's will. And I, I, even picture, I want you to picture yourself this week walking under that umbrella of God's will. Is that where you are? Or are you over here somewhere? You may even, somebody says, why are you holding your hand like that? Tell them you're walking under an umbrella. That'll mess with them. Where are we walking? One more thought, then, I, then I'm done. God speaks loudest. 
to those folks who are most surrendered to him. God speaks loudest to those who are most surrendered to him. If you're not hearing from God, you need to check on your surrender. I'm going to make up a new word. Your surrenderability. I know that's not a word. But if you're not hearing from God, you need to ask yourself, how much have you surrendered? What part of you there? What are you holding on with both hands that you don't want to give up? Because as long as you're hanging on to something with both hands and you're not willing to give it up, to that extent, God can't bless you. Because you know what? That thing you're holding on to with both hands, it's his anyway. Let him have it. Acknowledge it. And let God work through your life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for recording these temptations and these conversations between Satan and Jesus. And I pray that we would learn to submit to your will. I pray that we would learn what it means to live under the canopy and umbrella of your grace and your will. I pray, Father, that you would examine our hearts. And whatever pieces of our heart are not surrendered to you, I pray you would convict us. I pray that you would show us. And I pray you would give us the courage to turn that over to you and let you bless us and however you see fit. Father, our lives are yours. Do with us what you want. It's just my prayer, Father, that when our community, when Fairview sees Old New Hope Baptist Church, I pray that they would see Jesus.